Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. There are several scriptures in the Word of God which are somewhat of a mystery to me. And one of the mysteries in scripture is why the devil was allowed to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ and why he's allowed to continue to do what he does and cause the sort of grief that he causes. And this continues to be an ongoing problem for anybody who is saved. Because sooner or later, you will find yourself in a battle with the devil. And once he gets his eyes on you, it's very difficult to get him off your back. And this is very clear from the book of Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Look at verse 6, if you will. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. I got an email overnight concerning one of my videos. And in one of my videos, I made the case that the sons of God, found back in the Old Testament, like Genesis chapter 6, were angels, fallen angels. There are two views, of course, from the book of Genesis chapter 6 as to who these sons of God are. The first view is that they are angels, fallen angels. And the second view is that they are sons of Noah, sons of Shem. But for myself, when I look at Jude, when I look at First uh, Peter, I can't help but see that such are referred to as angels. And here, Job 1.6, it speaks about a day when the sons of God, being angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, like reporting for duty. And Satan came also among them. We know from uh, Ezekiel that Satan was the anointed cherub. And the word cherub means anointed one. When you think of the New Testament, you think of Christ being the anointed one, being the Messiah. So you have two very powerful beings in the scripture. One, of course, being the Lord Jesus Christ, referred to as the angel of the Lord. And the other being the devil, being referred to as the anointed cherub. Just for the record, a cherub is a higher form of angelic being. Also, we have the seraphims. The seraphims are referred to back in... Isaiah, and they too are a higher form of angelic being. So you've got three forms of angels. You've got just the standard angels, you've got the cherubims, and you've got the seraphims. On top of that, you have the angel of the Lord, which one more time for the Old Testament would be um, Jesus Christ, and for the New Testament would be the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind as we look at the Word of God to better understand what is going on because what we don't want to do is read these passages and come to the conclusion that they are simply human beings. If you take that view, you miss out on a lot of information. Look at verse 7 from Job chapter 1. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So... Let me say this, when we think of the devil, when we think of the Lord, when we think of the remit that the Lord has given the devil here, he's going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And I'll say this, that over the last several days we've been in Cambridge and I think the spirit in Cambridge is very similar to the spirit in Hastings which is very similar to the spirit of Manchester. And I think this, that there are unclean spirits which are affiliated, which are attached to not only countries around the world, but cities around the world. And I've noticed over the years that when I've gone to Manchester, 
there's a feeling of hostility. When we were in Hastings the year before last, I think it was, there was a great level of hostility. And also from Canterbury, where we were some years ago. The same seems to be true in Cambridge as well. And yet yesterday we went to Huntington, a very sleepy village. And of course, Huntington was where Oliver Cromwell was born back in 1599. And we are there for a few hours. We gave out quite a few tracks, spoke to some confused people. When I say confused, I mean theologically confused. One lady told me that her husband, as he was dying, got a vision of the Lord. I didn't comment either way because I'm very suspicious of such accounts. But this has been a third person that I've spoken to in the last few days that has claimed to have been aware of a vision. But I won't go over that again. Eight. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Well, of course, he had considered such a man. He's considered all of us around this table since the day we all got saved. And it's like we said before, the devil is very interested in religion, of course, but he's also very interested in those of us which are saved. He will pay a lot of attention to us. And many times when he locks eyes on those of us which are saved, we are on dangerous ground. At the same time, we work with him because of our sin natures. We help him along. In fact, I think it's, it's pretty fair to say that most of our failures are not just down to the devil working us over, but down to ourselves working ourselves over. We allow the old man to uh, be resurrected. And once that happens, the devil doesn't have to do much to us. Hast thou considered my servant Job? Job, of course, being a picture of Israel in the tribulation, like the believing remnant, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect in the sense of complete, not double-minded, and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. He fears the one true God and he hates evil. He's perfect and upright, and externally it would be very difficult to fault such a man. Nine. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Does he fear the Lord for nothing? Ten, hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. You've been very kind to him, Lord. You've given him a great blessing. You've made him very wealthy. He's never experienced a day of poverty. He's got a lot of livestock. He's got a large family. Life's pretty good for him. Eleven. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. So it's fair to say you get saved and if you come to the Lord with a comfortable background, um, life is pretty good to you. And if you've got money, you are cushioned. But the latter part of verse 11, and he will curse thee to thy face. Why? Well, if you put your hand against him, if you touch all that he hath, if you take his comfort from him, if you take his wealth from him, if you take his prestige from him, if you take what is precious to him, he will curse thee to thy face. That may be true. That may be true of a lot of people. It may be true that if you are saved and you lose all your money, you lose your family, you lose all that is precious to you, you may become bitter, you may become angry, and you may curse the Lord. It's hard to believe. But it's not impossible. 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. All that he has is in your power. 
only upon himself, put not your hand. In other words, you can work him over, and he will, by killing his livestock, killing his children, but up until here, not a reference to killing Job. There's also a picture here of jealousy. I think it goes back to the Garden of Eden, when Lucifer was king of the earth, which kind of feeds into the gap theory. And for some period of time, he was top dog. He would enjoy access to the throne of heaven. He would also be on the earth. And then something went wrong. The devil fell. And as a result, he took Adam and Eve with him. Later, of course, not right away. Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. It's in your power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. You can't kill him. So Satan, meaning slanderer, meaning accuser, went forth from the presence of the Lord. Why he was allowed entrance into heaven, I don't know. Why the Lord allows him to uh, roam around the earth, I don't know. Why he has been allowed to destroy so many people, I don't know. Why he has been allowed to uh, to destroy so many theologians over the years and allow such to write heretical books, I don't know. I got an email yesterday from a professor somewhere in America who has written some books and he came across one of my videos on Calvinism and he said to me that he would like to send me some of his books to read and I thought thank you very much. I guess he's on the same page as I am. Well a bit of research this morning would suggest that he's not. A bit of research this morning from one of the sisters would suggest that he is in a sect, perhaps a Christian cult with very dubious roots And after hearing what his denomination believes, I thought, what a shame. Going back to yesterday's message on the word of God, like corrupting the word of God. 2-2. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. So I believe countries around the world have unclean spirits, which are affiliated to them. I believe cities around the UK especially have spirits which are affiliated to them. I mean, how else can you explain the hostility in Cambridge? Manchester Hastings. I mean, Hastings was pretty full on. Really wicked spirit going back to the days of Alistair Crowley. Cambridge, this once great city of academia, produced the King James translators, other greats, and yet now it's just a dry, somewhat rundown, perhaps socialist town. And I think of that atheist who walks around all day coming up to people like ourselves and arguing with us. There's an unclean spirit in that man. There's an unclean spirit behind that man. There's an unclean spirit affiliated to that town. And here the devil is walking to and fro in, not on, but in the earth. He goes through the earth. He walks through the earth. And he walks up and down in it. This guy's got access through earth, in the earth, and he has access into heaven itself. Three. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like unto him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause? Well, of course, he's aware of Job. He hasn't forgotten Job. He's been watching this guy for a long time. I'm sure that the devil was watching Paul before he got saved, and Peter, and James, and John before they got saved. I'm sure he, he was watching me before I got saved. And I'm sure he's watched all of you people around the table before you got saved, and even after you got saved. And still, middle part of verse 3, he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. 
I'm not sure we could say the same for ourselves. I'm not sure we could say that we are uh, innocent. It's like that scripture from, I think it was the Gospel of Luke, how the prince of this world comes and he has nothing on me and yet he's got plenty on us. You're moving me to destroy this man without a cause and yet in spite of that, in spite of the fact that he's lost his livestock, his children, his wife is cursing him, forcing him to blaspheme, he still is holding his integrity. He hasn't sold out. This guy was remarkable. I mean, you look at the Old Testament greats. You look at Solomon. You look at David. You look at Josiah. You look at the New Testament greats like Peter, uh, John Mark, Paul, and all of the others. Even James, the Lord's half-brother. At times, he's got grace down to a fine tea. And later on, he's teaching a faith and works package. He's putting pressure on Paul to go into the temple He's putting pressure on Paul to take a vow. He's, take, he's, he's putting pressure on Paul to be really Jewish, to go back to his Jewish roots. Whatever for? We're not saved by our works. And of course, that pictures the old nature in the saved person. For, and Satan asked the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath, would he give for his life? Absolutely. What do they say? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. There's much truth in that. Of course, there are some people who are quite happy to die like right now and go straight to be with the Lord but most people want to see their kids grow up most people want to see their kids have kids most people want to see uh, family and friends go on to do greater things and I'm just being about saved people it's kind of rare to meet a saved person who says you know what I've been saved 10, 15, 20 years my best years are behind me I don't care about my family just take me home to glory of course it happens but most people want to hang on to life most people enjoy life to some extent so the devil is pretty correct when he says, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath, would he give for his life. The most wealthy person that ever lived, when he's diagnosed with an illness, wants to prolong his life. There was a guy called um, Goldsmith, uh, James Goldsmith, who was a billionaire, and around 1997 was diagnosed with an illness, and he was in great pain, and he was crisscrossing the country around that time, trying to... Uh, make a difference for the UK. I forget what his politics were. And he wanted to prolong his life. He went to see the best consultants around the world. But he was dying. He was in great pain. And instead of getting his house in order, instead of uh, making his peace with the Lord, he was trying to fix the country up. He was trying to get a different government elected. This is 20 years ago. And of course, uh, he went on to die as an unsaved man. Five. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. That's what the devil would like Job to have done, and that's what the devil would like us to do. If you push someone hard enough, if you shake someone's foundation hard enough, if you start to strip away what they enjoy, they will start to crumble. And perhaps curse the Lord to his face. Become very bitter. Six. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. The moment Almighty God allows the devil to work you over, look out. He's had thousands of years practice. He's messed the best of the best up. He's come up against the best of the best. He's got the world governments in his pockets. But the moment, the very moment the Lord, through his permissive will, allows the devil to work you over, look out. Seven. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. So from the standpoint of Job, 
He has no idea what's going on. When this was taking place, there was no scripture. When this was taking place, the Lord was very choosy about whom he would reveal himself to. So this guy, Job, is really going by faith. He's a good man. He's a decent man internally and also externally. But he doesn't have any scripture to go to. He can't read the Psalms. He can't go to the Proverbs. He can't even read the first book of the Bible because it hasn't been written yet. We are way back in the days of, well, let's see now, probably pre-Abraham, I'd imagine. Way back. And some people have suggested that Moses was the author of this book. But Job is a picture of a tribulation saint, a Jewish tribulation saint who goes through it. But the point of these verses, before I go to Luke chapter 4, is that Job was a good man, perfect and upright, one that eschewed evil, and yet when the devil came up against him, he had no way, no way to withstand him. He couldn't thwart him. He couldn't get the devil off his back. He had to go through it. He had to grin and bear it. And he would do so. And what he would experience is a great lesson to us all. Go to Luke chapter 4. So like I say, this message will be called the Satanic Temptation of Jesus. Or Jesus' Satanic Temptation. There was a film that came out back in the 1980s called The Last Temptation of Christ. A very blasphemous film. I don't recommend it. And I watched 20 minutes of it a long, long time ago. I had to turn it off. It's a ridiculous film, of course. It has no scriptural basis. And when Hollywood uh, speak about Jesus, when Hollywood tried to do Jesus, when Hollywood tried to make a film about the Bible, they nearly always mess up. But this piece of scripture from Luke chapter 4 is one of the mysteries in scripture. Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 1, if you will. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. So here we read about our Saviour, full of the Holy Ghost, verse 1, returning from Jordan and was led by the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, into the wilderness, picture of the world, being forty days, and I mean forty days, tempted of the devil. The devil's going to work him over for forty days. And in those days he did eat nothing he's fasting and when they were ended he afterward hungered so he is vulnerable he has been healing people and the cross reference to this is back in matthew chapter 4 he's gone around preaching the gospel john has baptized him which is another part of scripture which is very interesting why would a sinless man need to be baptized we know that our baptism doesn't save us but here the devil is going to tempt him he's going to try him he's going to try and work him over in a way that he would do to job but not quite three and the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command the stone that it be made bread. If you be the Son of God, Adam's called the Son of God. Satan comes across Adam in the garden, and he says to Adam through his wife, That fruit is very nice. You can eat it and be like God's. She takes of the fruit, gives it to Adam. He takes of the fruits, and of course we know the rest. They die. If thou be the Son of God, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. You've got the fruit on the tree, it's pleasant for the eyes, take it, eat it, and enjoy yourself. And here, take this stone and turn it into bread. Could he have done it? Absolutely. Four. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Very difficult, though. Very difficult to live by every word of God. It's very difficult to spend time in prayer every day, read the scriptures every day, and then follow the scripture to the letter every day. 
I met, I think, five people yesterday in Huntington, which told me and others that they were Christians. And I said to each of them, do you read your Bible every day? And they all said, no, do I need to? And I thought to myself, why would you even be so quick to say no? Why would you be so dismissive of the idea? You should say, yes, I read it every day. I love it and I cherish it. Also in verse four, the Lord quotes the scripture. Going back to my message yesterday on the word of God. It is written, Deuteronomy 8, I think from memory, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, because the word of God will judge you at the end of time. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That's power. Now the devil has taken him up, like carried him up, into an high mountain. It could have been Sinai. It could have been Mount Moriah. And he shows the Lord all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Going back to visions and dreams. The Apostle John was in the Spirit, Revelation chapter 1, on the Lord's day. And the Lord took him on a journey. And the Lord showed him 2,000 years of history, 3,000 years of history, maybe more. And John wrote what he saw in 22 chapters. And that, of course, is the book of Revelation. But here the devil meaning slanderer, meaning liar, meaning murderer, gets his dirty hands on a sinless man, takes him up into a high mountain, no doubt outside of Jerusalem, and shows him every kingdom of the world in a moment of time because he has them in his pocket. Going back to my statement about cities, nations being in his domain, which is also mentioned back in the book of Daniel, the spirits, the angel, the uh, prince of Persia has withstood me, so on and so forth. It's taken me... Uh, 21 days to reach you, Daniel. But don't worry, you are greatly beloved. There's something about these towns and cities around the world that we don't quite understand. And if you don't believe me, just get a sign, go to such a place, get the sign up, and you will feel the pushback. You will feel the pressure. You will feel something which you can't really define. Six. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. That's power. I have the authority, Jesus. In fact, you gave me this authority, Jesus, because you created me, Jesus. All this power will I give thee. And the glory of them for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. This is a mystery. You've got Jesus, a sinless man, eternally God. God manifest in the flesh, coming to earth. He's hungry. He's been fasting. And the devil has been allowed to come and tempt him. Not only has the devil been allowed to come and tempt him, but Jesus is permitting the devil to tempt him. He would tempt Adam, and Adam failed. He would tempt every man in the Old Testament, and they all failed. I mean, all of them. He would tempt every man in the New Testament, and they all failed. I mean, all of them. But when he comes up against the Lord, it's a different ballgame. Seven. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. This has got to be a throwback to the garden of Eden. This has got to be in reference to where Adam fell. Adam was called the son of God. Luke chapter 4 was tried, was tested and failed and failed miserably. On top of that, when he failed, he was given the chance to come clean and he did not. His wife was given the chance to come clean and she did not. They didn't come clean and as a result, original sin continues to be a perpetual problem. Eight. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Second time he quotes the Old Testament. 
going back to thy word is true from the beginning and every one of your righteous judgments endureth forever thy word is true thy word cannot be broken and here the lord once again is quoting the old testament deuteronomy to affirm his deity for it is written thou shalt worship the lord thy god i.e me and him only shalt thou serve and this is a great scripture of course to highlight the deity of the lord jesus christ so i think when i look at these verses i see jesus being successful where adam was unsuccessful i see also satan working him over being unsuccessful so when jesus goes back to heaven with his blood he can say to god the father i overcame death i overcame the devil's temptation i overcame his promises to me and therefore if anybody believes on me they can never be tried again because i was tried i was tested i was successful i paid for their sins unlike adam who fell i was successful go to hebrews chapter 2 but it's still a mystery to me it remains a mystery and it will remain a mystery until i arrive in eternity hebrews uh, chapter 2 hebrews chapter 2 look at verse 14 if you will for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage it is normal to fear death it is normal to be fearful of dying i can remember reading of a bible teacher 30 years ago who was sick and dying he had cancer and he told his radio audience that he was crying he was scared of dying being saved 40 years and i thought what an honest statement to make he could have said i wasn't scared i'm all saved washed in the blood but he said no i was scared and i was crying it's unfortunate it's unnecessary but it's honest and i like honesty i like preachers that are honest for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood he also jesus himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil and he partly overcame him luke 4 garden of gethsemane but ultimately on the cross and deliver them picture of substitutionary atonement who through fear of death all their lifetime subject to bondage in bondage to the devil in bondage to your sins in bondage to life in general it is normal to be apprehensive of course when it comes to sickness when it comes to death but you shouldn't be crippled you shouldn't be paralyzed you shouldn't be terrified of leaving this earth because if you're saved you are saved but here the lord has been able to rescue those that were in bondage all their lives through fear of dying through his death on the cross for our sins go to romans 16 look if you will at verse 20 please and the god of peace shall bruise satan under your feet shortly the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you amen so satan hasn't yet been totally bruised going back to genesis chapter 3 he hasn't yet been totally destroyed he's still very powerful yes he's wounded yes he was defeated back on uh, back at calvary in fact there are at least three victories for the lord luke 4 matthew 27 matthew 28 there could be four but as i sit this morning i think of three he beat him luke 4 he beat him in a garden beat him on the cross and the god of peace 
shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. It's like that expression, uh, he gets under my feet, or you know, he's always on my back. You know, he's, he's under my feet all the time. You get the, you know, you get the understanding of what that means. A nuisance and irritant. The grace, God's righteousness at Christ's expense of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So, a good scripture to conclude. A very still difficult subject to comprehend as to why the Lord, being the Father, would allow his Son to be tempted, tried, tested by the devil, this unclean, fallen cherub who thought that perhaps he could get Jesus to stop trusting in his father and start trusting in him. It wasn't possible, but it also shows me that in the devil's mind, he thought it was possible for Jesus to deviate from the father, which also feeds into Christ's impeccability. And I read one uh, commentary last week about the impeccability of Jesus, and I was surprised to read a well-known writer suggest that Jesus could have sinned. Because the writer said this, if he couldn't have sinned, why would the devil tempt him? Why would the devil tempt somebody who couldn't sin? Now, I've never gone for that belief. I've never gone for that view. I've always been of the belief that Jesus could not have sinned. It was impossible for him to have sinned. But this well-known theologian, PhD, BA, so on and so forth, did believe that it was possible for Jesus to have sinned, to have deviated from the will of the Father, and somehow have thrown his lot in with the devil. That for me is too much and borders on heresy. Yes, it's possible that Jesus could have, through a moment of weakness, gone this way or that way, but sin as such, I don't think so. We know from uh, Acts 20 that the blood in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was from his father. His father's blood went through his body. His blood is divine. But impeccability, infallibility, we believe as Bible believers that Jesus Christ was without sin. It could also be suggested that the devil is not only deceived, but has believed his own lies. But if you look at Luke 4 carefully, Jesus doesn't call him a liar. He doesn't say to the devil, you have no authority. You can't promise me anything. Because partly what is said here is true. All this power will I give thee, verse 6, and the glory of them. It is delivered unto me. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. You have your father the devil, and the lust of your father you would do. He was a liar from the beginning. Yes, he's a liar. He caused Adam and Eve to sin. But when it comes to Luke 4, when it comes to Matthew 4, he's got the authority. And he showed him, verse 5, all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment, in a split second of the world, picturing the rapture, in a split second, we're out of here. And the Lord saw this as the son of man, tired, weak, hungry, verse 2. And the devil thought, I've got him, I've got him, he's tired, he's weak. And yet Jesus was able to beat him through the scripture, citing Deuteronomy, not once but twice. And the great verse, once again, verse 8. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. What a great scripture. The devil was a created being. Jesus is the eternal God. And here the devil has been told that the Lord God is worthy of worship. And only he is worthy of worship. So I think what happened here is part one of a three-stage victory over the devil. Tested and tried. Chapter four. Jesus won. The devil lost. Gethsemane. Jesus was tested, tried. The devil lost. Jesus won. And ultimately, on the cross, the devil thought, I've got him. He's moments from death. I'm going to crucify him. Kill him. I'll do it. Put him to death. Not realizing that 
in the process of doing that, from our perspective, all four act was the accomplishments of the sins of the world being purchased by our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So I think to go beyond that will be somewhat uh, troublesome. So I'll leave it there and I will call this message Jesus' Satanic Temptation Allowed Due to the Lord's Permissive Will. Like Job's was allowed due to the Lord's Permissive Will. And if you are being tried or tempted, then the Lord is doing it to work you over, to bring you closer to him. Also, of course, 1 Corinthians 10 says that no temptation, no trial, no tribulation has ever overtaken anyone. Uh, and whatever, whatever you go through as a saved man or woman, temptation, trial, tribulation is common to man. And the Lord will find a way for you to escape it, to bear it. He won't break you. He won't cause you to lose your mind. He won't cause you to go out and commit suicide like Judas. But he may, he may cause you to stop trusting yourselves and start trusting in him. And he may cause you to really take a close look at what's precious and shun what's not.